Yes, that's right. That's right, it's me. How you guys doing? How be your evening, matey? Arr. It's the 26th of April, 2021. And I just missed you guys and wanted to drop by and see what kind of sparks of greatness we could get up to together with your glorious questions and uh, comments and all that kind of good stuff. And also, also, um, we can do a voice chat tonight if you like. I have thoughts. I think I have four more and then I'm done. Oh, wait, no, that was one of them. Three more. Oh, no, that was a second. I'm done. That's it. Game over. Show's done. Show's over. It's been a good run. So, hi, everybody. A great pleasure to chat with you. Good evening. And if you have questions, I mean, I, I put out one today, a good video today that, uh, got to be straight up with you, I, I kept the, I just decided to sit and do a show. And the uh, I needed to keep this, this cell phone close to me because it just had a little attachment for better audio, but it didn't have like a lapel thing. And, you know, when you're looking at yourself, and I'll be 55 this year, you're looking at yourself on a big screen, 1080p, 60 frames a second, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you an example of what I mean. So here, if you would like to simulate, uh, this would be slightly better if my head was a little redder, but if you wanted to simulate a Mars landing, something like this. Uh, Houston, we are getting close to Mars. It seems to be very spotty. I see a thought. It's being deplatformed. All right. So that's me. There it is. My bit of, phys bit of physical comedy for the night. Oh, yeah, the couple. Oh, my gosh. The uh, the couple. Yeah, you should check out the show. Uh, Steph, help us stop violence. Uh, it was a couple that uh, are, are very violent with each other, and we just dove read it right into the deep roots of it, and you should really, really uh, check it out. You should really, really check it out. So uh, throw throw up your questions in here. I've got a couple to uh, – that was a lot to unpack. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot to unpack. It was a lot to uh, unpack. And please uh, share the stream if you can. Uh, I would appreciate that. Share the stream. Defy the uh, de-platformers. And um, – do you want to start with perspective? I'll tell you something about perspective. So I did I did an interview. Yes, I'm still doing interviews. Not not as common as, <laughs> as they used to be. But all the radical Bitcoiners, well, they won't talk to me. But anyway, I did an interview. And it started off something like this. Um, it was, so Steph, I, you know, I'm a libertarian and I completely disavowed you. Because I believed everything the media had said about you. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate the frankness, I suppose. And in it, there was the, the question, you know, the, the question that he was most fascinated by. The reason I'm telling you this is I'm not entirely convinced the interview will ever be released. He seemed a little... He, he went to a bunch of people online and said, Hey, I just interviewed Stefan Molyneux. <laughs> It's like parting the Red Sea. My name is like the hand of Moses that goes down a body of water and splits it into two. As <laughs> Stefan Molyneux, opposer of <laughs> divider and opposer of uh, of things, of things. But he's one of the fascinating statements of mine, or statement of mine that he found fascinating was: almost all decisions can be made simply by asking the right questions. 
almost all decisions can be made simply by asking the right questions. So why did I push back against the media's lies about Trump and maybe did a teeny tiny bit in helping him get elected? Well, a couple of things, but not least of which was he was a peace candidate, right? He was a peace candidate. Now, I knew that pushing back on media lies about Trump was going to cause blowback up to and including and even beyond deplatforming, right? But for me, the question was, okay, well, um, if he, uh, Hillary Clinton has already declared her intention to start at least three wars. And don't, don't buy the lie that Biden is getting out of Afghanistan, by the way. It's still tons of mercs in there. Anyway, so she was going to start at least three wars. There's going to be lots of bombing in the Middle East. She was certainly going to resume things with Russia. She was going to resume things with Syria. There was going to be some other things, probably escalate things with Iran. So those were the signals. And, you know, when these conflicts happen, hundreds of thousands of people get killed. And it's the big question. The big question if you have some credibility with people out there, if you have credibility with your family, and excuse my French, I'm going to get a little salty here because I'm very passionate about this topic. Big question is, okay, if you have credibility online, if you have an audience online, what the fuck is your credibility for? It's a big question. It's a big, important question. You build up all this credibility. Now, you don't want to squander your credibility or your audience on a little thing, on a nothing burger, on a piece of nonsense. You know, I, I saw this article the other day, uh, uh, you know, 10 streamers who destroyed their careers in an instant. And it was all for nothing if some stupid cheat or some swear word or some N-word or something like that. And that's for nothing. So the question is, you, you should, for me, like I built up this audience, right? Got a million people on YouTube, half a million people are close to it on uh, Twitter and had a certain income stream and so on. And so the question is, okay, well, what's it for? What's it for? Is it for me to be popular? Well, if there's one thing a philosopher should never, ever, ever be, except with you, my good and boon companions, you should never be popular. Conformity to the present is invisibility to the future. You should never, ever, ever aim for popularity. As a philosopher or as a decent human being, popularity is the last thing. And, you know, remember, I was raised a Christian. It wasn't like Jesus was overly popular in his environment, right? It wasn't like Nietzsche was overpopular in his environment or Plato or Aristotle or Socrates or, you know, anybody of any worth and salt. Anybody who helps push the human condition forward is viewed as a garden for the future, but a cancer for the present, right? That's inevitable. In order to move the human moral condition forward, you have to create, expand, inflict a definition of morality that turns a lot of good people, evil, so to speak. Or actually, since good and evil are beyond definition, they're beyond subjective human consciousness, then you are revealing a lot of people as evil who hitherto thought they were good, right? So, I mean, the the uh, the people who ended slavery, well, slavery was considered good and fine and just spoils of war throughout all of human history. And then, you know, white, northern, western, European, Christian Protestants ended it in the West and around the world, for the most part, you know, except for whoever builds Apple products and the Eastern European sex trade and a lot of Indian plays. Anyway, to a large degree. So slave owning, slave trading was considered an honorable occupation. And then when slavery was defined as immoral, those people had 
they fought not just to retain their slaves, but they fought to retain their sense of being moral. And so every time you advance a human condition, you turn on the lights, and people who hitherto thought they were doing the right thing are revealed as doing the wrong thing. Now, in the moment of that revelation, that's not when they become evil. Socrates was right to some degree in that evil is simply a lack of knowledge. And this is sort of what I'm arguing for here. Evil is simply a lack of knowledge. It's totally right. Once you have that knowledge, then you have a choice. If you believe that spanking children is the right thing to do, is the moral thing to do, and without that you get Antifa, and with that you get uh, the 1950s suburbs, you don't know the moral arguments, you don't know the science, you don't know the psychology, you don't know the effects, you don't know the cortisol system, you just, you just don't know, well, then you're in a state of violent ignorance. I mean, everybody accepts that spanking is violence, but, you know, you're, you're ignorant of, of where things are, and that's uh, perfectly sensible. Sorry, one sec. It's the rare philosophy sneeze. Anyway, so... When a moralist comes along and begins to define things correctly as immoral, that hitherto were accepted as not just amoral, but moral, then there's a moment. And that moment of insight and understanding is where the potential for moral behavior is created. Free will is created in the moment when you understand a moral argument. Free will is created in the moment that you understand a moral argument. And people go one of two directions once they hear the moral argument. Some people explore, are curious, think about it, and grow, and therefore create free will. Because a human being will not generally knowingly do something that he or she perceives as immoral, which is why control of the definition of morality is so important, because it's the train track most people run on. The Nazis thought they were doing something moral. The communists and the fascists and, and the Khmer Rouge all thought they were doing something moral. Or at least they told themselves that, although mostly it was simply sadism with a, a bow on top. But in that moment when you redefine morality and people who thought they were good are revealed as potentially evil, then they have a choice. And some people will embrace that choice and work to improve the moral condition of mankind. Many people will run away from that fight and some people will fight back viciously because they don't want to be defined as immoral. And the longer society has lasted and the more entrenched the definitions of morality are, then the more people will fight back. So for me, the question is, okay, well, I gained all of this audience. I gained this credibility. I was doing tours and, and speaking at a lot of different places. And uh, books are still doing well, but you know, the 100,000 of my books being read every, every month, like I'm, every month, it's completely wild. And I was doing 10 million views and downloads or more, getting 10,000 new followers on YouTube, getting 10,000, sorry, 10 million views and downloads a month. Yeah, yeah, that's right, a month. And I was well on my way to a billion views and downloads. So, so that's, that's important, right? I had a lot of visibility, a lot of credibility. So what do you do with it? <laughs> what do you do with it? And that's a big question, right? So I knew that when I opposed, well, when I said taxation is theft, eh, lots of people have been saying that. When I said spanking is violence, spanking is abuse, that was pretty tough. Circumcision is abuse, circumcision is infant mutilation. It's pretty tough. 
That's pretty tough for people. And so what do you do with your credibility? Is it for you or is it for the good? So in terms of do I want to take on particular topics that I knew would risk me being deplatformed? Well, I mean, I mean, the big one, of course, was, was the Trump thing. There was Brexit to some degree, race and IQ. There was uh, uh, talking about various ethnic supremacy arguments, uh, opposing those, of course. There was um, spanking uh, and child abuse and so on. I mean, the anti-statism was certainly there, but it's so far in the future that it doesn't threaten any particular interest in the here and now. There was um, promoting uh, birth rates among intelligent people, which very much goes against the plans of the elites, all that kind of stuff. So what what do you have it for? What, what do you have, or what did I have the credibility? I mean, this is not about me. This is I mean, it's about you, right? You have credibility in your particular sphere. And what's it for? So for me, sitting there and saying, okay, well, the work that I've done probably well north of a million or probably closer to two million kids are not being beaten, are not being abused. Some massive number of kids are not being genitally mutilated, right? What's that? Whenever I say the word mutilated, this is an old song. This is an old song. Okay, let's see. Let's see who can. I can't sing it nearly as well, but let's see who can uh, who can get this one. Um, death-defying, mutilated armies gathered me up. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> Crawling out of dirty holes. Yeah, the morals, the morals disappear. Anybody? You'll you'll get it. You'll get it. I'm sure you will. Great singer. Great and pretty charismatic guy, by the way, too. Although not not a charismatic performer, John Anderson. Oh my God! I've seen Yes a couple of times live. Yeah, yours is no disgrace, but yes. Yeah, yeah, and and thank you for, I don't have his countertenor or the beauty of his voice, but um, yeah, John Anderson has got like the charisma of a garden gnome. Actually, that's unfair to the garden gnome. It's a garden gnome has a lot more charisma. Great singer, but my gosh. So, old lady got mutilated late last night. Werewolves of London. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. So, when that guy died young, Warren's even, right? Died pretty young. I just remember... Um, there's some movie, is it Cocktail or or something like that, where John, uh, Tom Cruise is like, his hair was perfect, and he fondles his own hair. It's like really uh, kind of cute that way. Uh, I hate circumcision, but I also don't like hearing about it. Um, <laughs> thank, thank you for sharing. So w- what, is, what is the credibility for? What is the audience for? Well, if it's for my vanity and if it's for my income and if it's for my reach and so on, then I could have stayed off hot topics and given my charisma, my humor, my language skills, my analogy skills, my philosophical training and history. If I had stayed off those topics, uh, I would still have an audience. I would do world tours. I'd be all on TV all over the places, right? Now, on the other hand, if you look at what I have done, which is all I've done is consistently applied the non-aggression principle. And that's all I've done, really, is consistently applied the non-aggression principle. Sounds kind of kind of small when you... <laughs> well, but all Einstein did was consistently apply the speed of light. If he said the speed of light is constant, our perception of the universe changes to become more accurate. Or if 
Newton says gravity is constant, everything falls, then he understands that the apple falls to the earth, the earth falls around the sun, the sun falls around the galaxy, and so on, right? So for me, when I was talking in this interview, it was, okay, so if, let's just say 2 million, which, you know, I mean, with, with three quarters of a billion views and downloads, uh, plus, I don't know, another 10 million, oh gosh, maybe more than that, maybe 10 million books and right, so all of this stuff, right? So with all of that, it's conservative. It probably is much more than that. But let's just say 2 million kids are not being abused, right? So then I would say uh, the, the question comes down to this. Would you want to keep your audience if it meant that 2 million children keep getting beaten and genitally mutilated? It's a big question, right? Would you sell your audience to prevent millions of children from being abused. Now, if you put it that way, right? You put it that way. If, you know, the race war that the communists want, and let's be perfectly frank about that, the, the, the communists want a race war, right? Just like why they want to import millions and millions of non-whites into the West and then teach them critical race theory to hate whites. And right, they want a race war and that way they can take over. So if I start talking about racial disparities in IQ tests and so on, that's a way of cooling the flames of the race war. And so we can discuss challenges of a multicultural society, multiracial society without hysteria and blame and violence and aggression. And you know, we can at least try that. We can at least try that. Is that worth it? Well, yes. In a minimum, if the U.S. escalates wars in the Middle East and uh, Ukraine and, and Russia and Iran, Ran. So if at the very minimum, hundreds of thousands of people are going to get killed. So if I can do a tiny bit to push back against the media lies about Trump, if Trump gets elected, and he, he was the anti-war president, he was the anti-war president, first president in I don't even know how many generations to not start a new war or police action. So at least hundreds of thousands of people will live instead of die. At least hundreds of thousands of people will live instead of die, if you keep the warmonger called Hillary Rodham Clinton out of the White House. All right. So millions of kids cooling a potential race, millions of kids not getting abused, cooling a potential race war, hundreds of thousands of babies being born from smart people who otherwise wouldn't be born because I talk about the joys of parenting and push back against this work till you drop bullshit that passes for the substitution for family in the modern world. And, oh, yeah, might have done my little bit to help prevent a war or wars wherein at least, at least hundreds of thousands or possibly more people would get killed. So keeping hundreds of thousands of people alive, millions of kids not getting abused. Is it worth burning your platform for that? Fuck yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I say, ah, oh, but Steph, if you had kept your platform, you could have kept these messages going. No, 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 that's not how it works, though. The temptation to dilute essential facts that save lives, diluting that so that you can keep your platform to do good, it's bullshit. doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. If you're effective at fighting evil, they will deplatform you. And the only way to not get deplatformed is to not be effective at fighting evil. Is it worth deplatforming? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Because another thing too, uh, I'm aiming, if it means, it, and it does, this is the way it works in philosophy, a smaller audience in the present is a larger effect in the future. It's an, a smaller audience in the present is a larger effect in the future. And I, uh, you guys know the story of Freud? I talked about this at one of the Night for Freedoms back in the day. Do you, thank you for your work, Stefan. You changed how I think about things. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, what am I, uh, so sorry. I, <laughs> I looked at the chat and my brain vanished. Yeah, subscribe to Stefan on, on unauthorized.tv. Yeah, you can subscribe to me on unauthorized.tv. I would appreciate that. You can also go to um, freedomain.locals.com. You can uh, help me out there as well. So, well, yeah, so I like Tucker Carlson a lot. I think he's, um, you know, he's, he's pretty frank and pretty honest, but, you know, there's so much stuff that he doesn't talk about. Um, it's like, so he had Candace Owens on. And again, I like Candace, a very powerful communicator and a very courageous woman in many ways. But uh, she knows all about the IQ stuff, but she won't talk about it. And then she just, and, and that's fine. You know, it's fine to me if people don't want to talk about that stuff, even though it's absolutely essential uh, to to have any chance of maintaining peace in a, in a multiracial society. But she was on Tucker Carlson, was it a couple of days ago or last week or whatever, and you know, she was just railing against everybody who's just too cowardly to talk about the important things. It's like, yeah, but she knows all about the IQ stuff, and she won't talk about it because she wants to keep her audience. And so the price of talking about things is deplatforming, and the alternative to talking about things is to retain an audience. And I get where people are coming from. Look, not everybody has to make the decision that I made. I'm, I'm, I'm open for diversity, right? But there's a lot that Tucker Carlson simply can't talk about. Simply can't talk about. And I'm pretty sure he knows it all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he knows it all, you know, that seven degrees of separation stuff. So yeah, he'll talk about, oh, America's getting too crowded. It's like, well, that's not really the issue. I don't know what too crowded means. I mean, if this is, it's close to an antinatalist position, right? So, One in four black men are smart than the average white man. Ben Carson is a brain surgeon. Yeah, well, no, I, I think the numbers are a little different than that. But yeah, that's, I mean, plenty of brilliant, right? Plenty of brilliant stuff. So, yeah, so do you want to keep your audience or do you want to keep your soul? And I was, I mean, I've never, never in this, God, any, never in this for the vanity. My God, can you imagine being in this for the vanity, being in this to feel important or to feel like you've mm, got a big audience or, ah, it's too many compromises. It's too many compromises. There's a reason I've kept the operation tight and lean and broadcast in general like I'm trapped inside a ping pong ball or the imagination of AOC or whatever, so... Yeah, so I don't know. Is it is it better to get closer to issues and then draw back so that people think that you're talking about something real? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so Freud. So this, you know, one of the big examples I had. I mean, I, I, I didn't build what I do out of nothing. I built what I do out of a deep studying of people who did it before. 
And I'll tell you the brief story of Freud, which was one of the most, I, I loved Freud a lot. I mean, I found him in, in, on the interpretation of dreams and the, the id, um, the id, the ego, and the superego corresponding to the mammal, the human, and God. I mean, it's amazing stuff. And, and you know, a great writer and all of that. Uh, an absolutely wretched human being. Uh, he popularized cocaine, got a bunch of his friends addicted to uh, cocaine, destroyed lives left, right, and center, which at an individual basis was pretty horrifying, of course. But, but, but I would say that the great betrayal of Freud, which in many ways could have been the dominoes that led to the First World War, believe it or not, the great betrayal of Freud was not interfering with the pedos preying on the kids in Vienna, right? So for those of you who don't know the story, and I'll, I'll try and keep this brief, and feel free to ask questions, right? So the great problem of mental illness, which unfortunately now is, quote, solved by pharmaceutical interventions, which aren't medicine and don't treat any known disorder, and there's no blood test for any of this stuff, and you know, oh, it restores a chemical imbalance in the brain. Really? Can I get a test for that chemical imbalance before you give me the treatment? No. <laughs> We're just going to call it chemical imbalance because we don't want to deal with what Freud failed to deal with. So the great problem of mental illness, and in particular what was called hysteria among women, now it's called somatization, which is when you have a medical issue that has no medical cause. So you can't feel, maybe you can't feel anything in your arm, you say, right? And Or, or you can't see out of one eye, or you can't speak, and there's, there's no medical issue, right? They can test for these things, right? So there's no medical issue. The question is, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? So Freud, in his curiosity about the unconscious, uh, the unconscious or the subconscious is has been clocked at 8,000 times faster than the conscious mind. It is unbelievable horsepower. The conscious mind is kind of like a laser. It can light up and burn things through, but it has no peripheral vision. But the unconscious is kind of like bright moonlight. If you've ever been out in the woods, you can, like once your eyes adjust, you can actually navigate and track by moonlight. I did that when I worked up north, and I do that sometimes when I hike. Snowy landscapes, trees, and a full moon. Ah, it's like surfing a frozen sea of powdered diamonds. It's just the most beautiful thing, especially when the air is crisp and your, your breath is foggy. It's beautiful. So IQ is dumb topic. I agree with Jim, Jesus, and others about IQ. <laughs> really? <laughs> It's a good troll. IQ is dumb topic. <laughs> no, you're trolling. That's good trolling, though. IQ be for dumb heads. <laughs> IQ is dumb topic. That is troll. That's really good. That's really good. And, sorry, I have to go. So Freud. It's back to serious stuff, right? So, so Freud began asking patients about their dreams and the unconscious process of their minds. And he started doing this word association stuff and so on. And it did not take him very long before, particularly the female patients. Remember, he was operating in upper middle class Vienna and, of course, a lot of Jewish 
households, Jewish communities, though not exclusively that way, of course. And so Freud began to ask his patients about their childhoods. And what, oh what, did our good friend Dr. Freud find out about the childhoods of the patients of his, who had this somatization, who had medical issues with no medical problem, no source. What did he find out about the childhoods of these people? Freud, yeah, Freud was Jewish himself, but it's not particularly relevant. Um, so Freud found out that his patients that his patients had been raped as children. His patients had been raped as children. The men, the boys were raped. The girls were raped as children. And he, in a sense, stumbled into the great secret cave of the world with regards to uh, pedophilia. And I think almost without exception, I had a guy, a Canadian doctor, Dr. Gabor Maté, on my show a couple of times, and he's written about his experience treating heroin addicts in Vancouver's rough neighborhood. And he said that every single one of the female heroin addicts was sexually abused as a child, and all they're doing is self-medicating the horror, not just the horror of having been sexually abused, but the horror of a society that just dum-de-dum-de-dum travels along without recognizing this central awful fact. This central awful fact. So, Freud stumbled into the human hell of the rape of children, um, sexual molestation of children. And he found, or claimed, that when the women talked about this, that their symptoms began to abate, began to alleviate. But, as I said before, every piece of progress comes with blowback. And expecting the progress without the blowback is expecting the waves to go out and never come back in. So Freud began to publish and give lectures on the etiology of hysteria, on the etiology of anxiety, depression, and somatized or psychologically manifested physical symptoms where there's no underlying medical cause. And he said, well, you know, the cause of this appears to be child's rape. Oh, my God. Mental illness. Craziness. Right? It was explained with demonology, bad vapors, you, you know, every piece of nonsense under sun and moon when the first place to look is child abuse and the worst the symptoms are, the more likely it is that the abuse is egregious and childhood sexual abuse is about the most egregious of all. So he started to lecture on this. And the solution was hovering in the peripheral vision of society. Why are people crazy? Why are women hysterical? Why do people go numb? Why do they... Why can't they sleep? Why do they blow up? Why are they addicts? <gasps> the preying on children, particularly the sexual preying upon children, sexual abuse of children. 
And then the blowback started, right? So he started to say, oh my God, it's child rape is at the root of all of this. He lifted the final rock in the modern world. And he saw what was underneath. And he saw what was going on. And he spoke about it. <sighs> Incredible. Incredible. Now, what happened then? Well, of course, he got deplatformed. Or he was threatened. Well, he was an addict. Yeah, he was an addict to cocaine. He was an addict to cigar addict to cigars. He died, as you know, I'm sure, of cancer of the cheek and jaw based upon his. He would smoke like 20 cigars a day. And of course, people said, well, if you're so good with psychology, why can't you cure yourself of a cigar addiction to which he annoyingly, repetitively, and ridiculously replied, well, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, right? Well, no, it wasn't, right? But Freud himself was a victim of childhood sexual abuse as Jung was himself the victim of childhood sexual abuse, as Marilyn Monroe was the victim of childhood sexual abuse, as Jim Morrison was the victim of childhood sexual abuse. As, 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 and you can just go on and on about this. Uh, the, the, the singer for the Bay City Rollers, my God, you guys are way too old, way too young for this stuff, but the singer of the Bay City Rollers just died yesterday, I think. He himself was the victim of childhood sexual abuse. And I think he claimed that his gay manager raped one of the band members or something like that. You can look it up. So Freud said, well, I think that the, the etiology of mental illness is sexual abuse of children. Now, of course, the people who've sexually abused children, they don't want to talk about that, do they? So what did they do? Well, they complained to his college, uh, his regulatory body. They tried to get his license pulled. Now, the guy had, what, six kids or something like that, and his wife you know, didn't work with us back in the day, right, 19th century. So he kind of freaked out. They threatened to destroy him for speaking the truth about evil. One of the first people in human history to really, really understand and examine this topic and talk about it publicly. And they threatened to deplatform him, destroy his reputation, take away his source of income. Hello, it's not the first time, not the first time. If you want to, you don't have to. If you want to, hit me a why. Give me a why in the chat if anything like this happened to you. If you want to, you don't have to. If you want to. Inappropriate touching, childhood sexual abuse. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Really sorry. Yeah, can you hit me with an N if you haven't? Emotional abuse, yeah, yeah, but the uh, the sexual abuse has a special category of, of, of challenge for people, right? Which, again, I completely understand. Okay. I'm sorry for those of you who have. I really, really am. I was in massive danger, but it never quite happened. I'll talk about that another time. But anyway, so they threatened the hell out of Freud. And then Freud 
had a problem because he'd already put this stuff out there about how the women reported being raped uh, as girls and the men reported being raped as girls, uh, sorry, as boys. And they, he had, he had a big problem, a big problem that it's already out there. Can you just retract it? Not really. He'd already done lectures, written articles. So, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that technically, I don't know that circumcision would count as sexual abuse, sexual, it's mute, genital mutilation. I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse in the same way. So Freud had a problem. And do you know what Freud's solution to this problem was? The problem of having talked about the sexual abuse of children and then I assume the pedophiles put massive pressure to get him deplatformed, right? Was it Reddit being sued at the moment for failing to deal with sexual abuse images of children being sued? Now, Reddit, of course, like many social media outlets, has put massive, has devoted massive resources to silencing and censoring and shadow banning anti-communists, conservatives, voluntarists, you name it, right? So they can't say, well, we don't have the resources to deal with child sexual exploitation images. Same thing's happening with Twitter. Twitter had to get, what was it, a order from the Department of Homeland Security finally take down. Oh, appalling, appalling stuff. These, a lot of these places are just viperous nests of evil. So they can quite efficiently deal with what is colloquially called hate speech, and conservatives, and they can root out and find any information that goes against the bureaucratic mumblings of the WHO and the CDC. They can find and deplatform everybody and their dog. But apparently, you see, they just can't deal with childhood sexual abuse imagery. So they will deplatform conservatives before pedos, as they're called in the UK. Boy, <sighs> tells you a lot about the modern world, doesn't it? In ways that are just absolutely appalling. Yeah, some do want to make incest and pedophilia a sexual preference. Yeah, it's unholy. It's, I mean, it's absolutely unholy. And let us never, ever hear again a pushback on slippery slope arguments. So Freud had a problem. He'd already talked about the childhood sexual abuse but he didn't want to lose his license. He didn't want to be whatever they threatened him with. We probably don't know, right? So it's not like they would have written it down, but it was a lot. So what Freud did was he betrayed the children. He betrayed the children. Something I said I would never do. Never, ever do. So he betrayed the children. So what he did was he said, oh, the girls who complained about being raped by their fathers, oh, you know what? I bet you it really didn't happen. I bet you they just wanted it. And I'm going to call that the Oedipus complex. And the little boys who complained about being molested by their mothers, it didn't really happen. I don't believe them. But they report it, so it must be that they want it, and I'll call that the Electra Complex. And we understand this, right? 
I mean, can you imagine saying that something that monstrous to any adult woman who has vivid, strong memories of being raped by a particular man, and you say to her, well, you, you just must want him as a boyfriend, and that's why you fantasize these things. You just want it, but it didn't really happen. Oh, my God. Absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. And I think that this betrayal of children, and I go into it in more detail elsewhere, I won't go through all the steps here, but I think it did significantly lead to World War I. With all the kids that are out there saying, will you stand with us, will you stand with us, will you stand with us, just as I, as a kid, wanted someone to stand the hell up against child abuse. All the kids are, ah, oh, will you stand with us, will you stand with us? And if they get betrayed, they get really angry, and they're right to. They're right to. I'll never do it. I'll never do it. So the Oedipal Complex, the Electric Complex, uh, all of this came out of Freud's massive backtracking on the issue of childhood sexual abuse. It was an unbelievable betrayal, and worse than if he'd never done anything, an unbelievable betrayal of the young of the world, uh, the victims of the world, the greatest victims in the world are the victims of sexual abuse when they're children. So, no, I, I, won't, uh, I won't do it. Not, uh, not going to happen. Not going to happen. So, will I do any more videos on psychiatry and mental illness? You had one. You had a long one years ago. I've done a whole bunch of videos on psychiatry and mental illness, so you can look at those. Um, Robert Whitaker, I interviewed. Uh, I did The Myth of Mental Illness. I did A Theory of Mental Health, Parts 1, 2, and 3. A whole bunch of stuff on that. So, so yeah, and I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all of this. I'm sorry for all of this. And Freud was not particularly big in his day. Freud became much more famous as did Nietzsche after the First World War because there were men who, the shell shock, right, is, is the idea that, well, we have a brave guy. He's clearly brave, but he can't function after he's been in war for a certain amount of time. And they thought, well, maybe the the shell shock, like the, sh the explosion of the damaged his brain or something like that. And it was all, of course, PTSD. They were starting to grope their way towards that and all that, right? Stefan, would you ever be a farmer? Why or why not in ideal circumstances? So I'm a little too old for really hard physical labor. Um, like, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just getting a little creaky. I'm just getting a little creaky. So um, I don't imagine. They only teach the second half of the Freud story in school. Useless info. Yes. Well, of course, I think a lot of people felt that because Freud worked in largely Jewish circles that it would look bad for Judaism. And I don't know. I have no idea. Ever want to do a show on the science of consciousness, emergent intelligence, etc.? Uh, not particularly. Listen to your anarchy books five times this week. I think I have a thing for bald philosophers coming on. <laughs> well, hopefully reason and evidence. So, yeah. Hey, if you want to be a farmer, it's certainly an honorable occupation. All right. Uh, just hit me with a Y if you want me to open up a voice chat, which I'd be happy to do. Uh, I can certainly answer questions uh, in, in the chat. And please, again, accept my deepest sympathies for what um, 
what you experience as, as children. I'm just absolutely appalling. Absolutely, this is not, nothing that makes me more angry than that. So I won't do all of this. But uh, yeah, okay, we've got some people who want to do that. Just just be ready to do it because the one thing that's kind of annoying, not not you, but just the technology, one thing that's kind of annoying is um, just sitting there waiting for people to uh, come in and, and uh, unmute and jump in and, and detail out and, and all of that kind of stuff. Just get to it, baby. And uh, yeah, thanks again for dropping by tonight. It's a, it's a great pleasure. All right, let me just get this going here. Yeah. All right, what do we got here? Audio. Me. Continue. Start. Do something. <laughs> All right, uh, let me just get the invite link here going out to everyone. Uh, it is in, uh, it's in Telegram. It's in Telegram. And there should be a way, yeah, it should be a way to record this, just to back up. Gonna move on up to the waterfront. That's right, I'm just gonna keep singing to people come in. There we go. Um, Ten years ago today, Satoshi Nakamoto disappeared. Isn't that wild? I don't think he's dead. I don't think theories out there that he's dead. I don't think he's dead. I think he's um, most likely somebody who's mildly autistic and who had the wisdom of uh, getting out of the public eye while creating the greatest technological advance in the history of the world and the one key that can free us from the endless tax slavery and debt slavery of central banking. So just wanted to uh, to point that out. All right. Uh, what do we got here? Thanks for all that you do. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you, uh, you saying that. Let me just put this one other place, my babies. And uh, then we will uh, chat. I, I think I have my, yeah, I have my audio set up. If you want to just yell up and bark out, I'm, I'm happy to hear. So just, just be aware of that. Gonna move on up to the waterfront. Uh, Simple Minds is a great band back in the day, man. Just wanted to point that out. I should, I should do a whole show just on music. I am such a music nerd. It's just absolutely mad. Absolutely mad. I could blow your mind. With the obscure music knowledge that I have, I absolutely. I got my one of my ears got a little bit fried from radiation therapy, so it's a bit of a drag that way. But uh, it's uh, a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, I hear rustling. Satoshi might be Alan Greenspan. <laughs> I would be really surprised. I would be really, really, really surprised if it was Alan Greenspan, who I don't even believe was a coder. Yes, how you doing, brother? Yeah, I can't really hear you, man. This is the this is the, the part of technology I just really dislike. Not nothing to do with you, just technology as a whole. So uh, I'm happy to hear. All right. So um, uh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have, just have to mute you here because uh, I can't hear you. So yeah. So I listen to side three of the wall just about every night. Uh, when I was in my mid-teens, I was introduced to the album. You yes, you stand still, laddie. <laughs> Great album. My God. But uh, I was just in by a cousin of mine, and I was actually in South Africa in my uh, mid-teens. Mama loves her baby, and daddy loves you too. Beautiful, beautiful uh, stuff. Not the greatest vocalist, Roger Waters, by his own admission too. Not the greatest instrumentalist, nothing like David Gilmour on guitar, or even Nick Mason on drums. But uh, an incredible album, and The Wall, just, just so you understand it, is... Um, so Roger Waters' father was a, an avowed and committed communist who then changed his mind 
about communism, volunteered for the war, and died shortly thereafter. So you do have to understand that communists will instill a horror of the Second World War and a horror of the Vietnam War in particular because uh, the Second World War to some degree because communism didn't win. It was certainly aiming to. The Vietnam War, of course, and the Korean War, think of MASH and and all of the anti-Vietnam War movies and so on, or anti-war movies centered on Vietnam. So communists will always try and instill in you a horror of wars where either communists lose or they don't win everything they want. And they'll give you anti-war and associate anti-war with any war involving communists, which is why, of course, you will hear about the horrors of uh, the war in, in, in Russia, right? the Stalingrad. Uh, you will hear about... Oh, am I? Uh, oh, I was uh, muted. Sorry, people could only hear me on the... Uh, uh, on the stream. Sorry, I'm just, just finishing up here. So the wall comes out of a, a communist father uh, who changed his mind and ended up fighting in the war, uh, Second World War. And so Roger Waters wants to instill in people a horror of the Second World War. And the horror of the Second World War has to do with the fact that the communists didn't get everything they want uh, wanted out of the Second World War. And of course, one of the horrors of uh, National Socialism and Hitlerism that comes out of the communist media is because he invaded Russia and killed a bunch of communists. And so there is this horror of the Second World War that comes out of communism. Also, of course, I mentioned horror of the Vietnamese War, a horror of um, uh, the um, Korean War, and all of the wars wherein communism is opposed. And so it's kind of an anti-war album, but... I think it specifically comes out of the, the horrors of the war that because his father was a communist and his mother obviously married a communist and all of that. So there is that aspect to as well. And yeah, one, one day we'll probably dive into the wall and, and its meanings. It's a very, very powerful piece of music, an amazing piece of music, an amazing work as a whole. And, you know, he, he's so what happens in general in the wall is a guy loses his father. He becomes the husband's son, right? The, the mother gloms onto him, as they often do when it's a single mother, single son event. She'll glom onto the child. He grows up kind of claustrophobic. He has this terrifying fear of women because his mother married a communist. You know, if your mother married a Nazi, you'd probably have some fear of women as well because uh, of all of those things. He's tempted by fascism uh, and and dreams about fascism. Now, why does, why does Roger Waters have dreams about fascism? Because fascism arose as a response to communism. Right, fascism arose as a response to communism, and in Germany, as I've mentioned before, the communists and the fascists were referred to as uh, beefcakes. Right, so the, the the brown shirts were the Nazis, but they were called beefsteaks because they were brown on the outside but red on the inside, as you probably know. Um, Mussolini, Benito Mussolini, the famous fascist leader in Germany, started out as a straight-up Marxist, and uh, Hitler was a big fan of socialism in many ways. So, um, fascism arose out of a a terror of communism and the predations communism was inflicting upon the members of, of Russia, uh, the Russian citizens, and in particular, the Holodomor, which is where millions upon millions of mm, kulaks, largely Christians, were starved to death by the communists. And this was really, really terrifying, of course, as I've sort of mentioned before. And so here you have Roger Waters, um, son of a communist, son of a 
woman who married and I suppose loved a communist who dreams of fascism. Now, he downgrades fascism, and fascism is a, a brutal collectivist uh, authoritarian doctrine and did you know precious little to free the world from totalitarianism, to put it mildly. But it is kind of the blowback reaction to international communism. National socialism being a sort of response to international socialism is not really, to me, much of an opposition. But of course, he's going to dream about fascism as a pushback on communism. And he's also going to downgrade and give people an emotional horror of a war wherein a lot of communists died and communists didn't get everything they wanted. And so, uh, unfortunately, there's, you know, this, this typical stuff that goes on in amongst all of the lyrical and musical brilliance. Uh, but uh, I thought it was quite interesting that he ended up doing the show wherein he is um, standing on the wall as communism comes down in uh, East Berlin and West Berlin. So, yeah, it's it's an amazing album, and I did listen to it uh, quite, quite obsessively. I, I really like that song, um, I got a little black book with my poems in. Got a bag, got a toothbrush, and a comb in. But I'm a good dog. They sometimes throw me a bony. That's a great song. Uh, I, nobody can do that ooh except Roger Waters. But <laughs> uh, what what are your thoughts on it? Sorry that you couldn't hear me before. Uh, yeah. Um, what are my thoughts on it? Well, there's a lot of mother issues in the in the album, and I started listening to it at a at a sort of. Um, <clears throat> at a interesting time in my life when I had just essentially been taken from my mother. What do you mean? Well, there was, there was a um, custody battle mm -hmm. and sort of long story short, my, my dad had moved across the country and then suddenly moved back to pretty much the same neighborhood, about 30 seconds away from um, my mom, my stepdad, my sisters and I, and then it caused all this uh, tension and then my mom and stepdad decided to move uh, into the interior, let's say like a six hour drive away. And, and then us children sort of like one by one kind of rebelled and we didn't want to go. And then I was sort of the last one. And then I was, I was told that I was going to go out for dinner with them. And then instead it was the lawyers like serving them papers. And then, Oof. so after that, it was just suddenly I was with my dad and, his girlfriend and my sisters. And it was this big split in my life. And it was like, after that, that I discovered Pink Floyd and I discovered that album and I just really zoned in on the first half. So, so aside one and two. And which were your favorite songs from those? I got a bit burned out on another brick in the wall part two, but which were your favorite songs uh, on there? Well, Another Brick in the Wall part two is the one that really drew me in. And my sister put the headphones on me. I just never heard music like that. It was, mm. it was, a, I'm a musician now and everything. So it really expanded my whole musical universe, just, just hearing it on headphones, especially, but I also hated school. So I really, I really did feel that one, but I don't know. I got to say even the whole thing. And then the, the way that it leads to this really depressing end. Um, Wait, end of side one or end of the album as a whole? The end of side one, it's like, it's just a really depressing end to it. So, all right. So what, what song starts like this? Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Young Lust? No, that's uh, a, <sighs> mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? Right. That one. Yes. Yes. I know. Yeah. It's a complicated song. And then, you know, um, 
well, I don't know if you believe in synchronicity, but there was a time a little bit later, a couple of years later, when I was 14, I was listening to that song, uh, Mother, and then I had, um, sorry, that's my phone going off. Um, and then I was thinking about our relationship. We'd had been become pretty much estranged by then. And then she called me up on the phone right then. And then she just like asked if she, if, she, if I wanted to like continue having a relationship with her, just like at that, at that very moment, I was listening to the song and thinking about it is, it, it was kind of crazy, but I don't know if I really like that song that much, but really I, well, I do like it, but I wouldn't say I zoned into it at that time. Um, yeah. Was it, uh, Sinead O'Connor did, uh, did that song, uh, at, at yeah. that point. But, um, so I have a minor story about the song, <laughs> the song mother. All right. I'm not going to go through all of the lyrics. Um, but it's basically a guy who doesn't know how to live. Who's asking his mother uh, about everything. Right. So it's like, uh, uh, mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? Mother, do you think they'll like this song? Mother, do you think they'll try to break my balls? Ooh, uh, mother, should I build the wall? Mother, should I run for president? Mother, should I trust the government? I remember seeing Roger Waters doing that song live where he gave this look like, mother, should I trust the government? Like, what are you crazy trusting the government? And <laughs> um, so Roger Waters does that. Uh, and David Gilmore. So Roger Waters and David Gilmore had this total sibling punch up relationship. And they just fought about everything from the drum mix to comfortably numb to, to uh, just every conceivable thing. And one of the reasons was that Roger Waters viewed David Gilmore as a vocalist and instrumentalist. And he said, you know, finding people to play guitar is pretty easy. Finding people to sing a song is pretty easy, even though David Gilmore is a terrifyingly good guitarist, like yeah. one of the best that be, can, can be conceived of. You know, people are like, oh, Eric Clapton is like, yeah, okay, it's got some good licks and all of that. But for me, it's Mark Knopfler and Roger Waters. But anyway, it's a topic for another time. So David Gilmore, of course, didn't feel respected because Roger Waters is like, and and the final Pink Floyd album, the final cut, it was literally like, (laughs) it's a Roger Waters album performed by Pink Floyd. Although, of course, much like Queen and the solo albums and so on, Roger Waters never did as well after Fear of Hitchhiking, blah, 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 all of that stuff that went forward. He kind of gave up on on that. But um, so David Gilmore sings the uh, chorus, uh, Hush now, baby, baby, don't you cry. Mama's going to make all of your nightmares come true. Mama's going to put all of her fears into you. Mama's going to keep you right under her wing. She won't let you fly, but she might let you sing. Mama's going to keep baby cozy and warm. Anyway, so a friend of mine used to, he's a good cartoonist, did a lot of art, and he would do... Uh, cartoons about everything we did, whether we were playing Dungeons and Dragons or other things. And in one of the backs of the, cause he knew that I used to listen to Pink Floyd at the wall a lot. And so we were playing Dungeons and Dragons and in the background was the little music notes and that line, uh, uh, mama's going to make all of your nightmares come true. And God help us. My mother found that little cartoon that he drew in my room. And she saw this, Mama's going to make all of your nightmares come true. And she, of course, completely hit the roof and, and freaked out. And if you want to see what that looks like, you can look at Hillbilly Elegy when the son says something true about the mother in the car. And she drives like she's, what, she actually says she could just kill kill us both and all that. Oh. And um, so I had to sort of sit there and pull out the album and hear the lyrics. And this is, you know, it's just an album. I like the song. It's not the lyrics. But of course, it was actually, you know. And it goes from mother to mama because it's it's regressing. 
uh, over time. And uh, yeah, just this is a mother who uh, smothered, right? This is a mother who overrode the decisions of the children, of the child, of the son, because of her own anxieties. And so he ends up dependent upon her judgment because she's never allowed him to become independent. And so the presence of femininity erases him as a human being, right? So the presence of femininity erases him as a human being. And this is why he can't talk to his wife, right? So he has the sexual lust, right? Young Lust is a very great song in there. And, and then, of course, he's got the terrible danger, the fascist hostility of sex, right? Because you have uh, this song, um, uh, gosh, I don't even remember what it's called, but it's something, it starts off the one where she says, wow, this this uh, this uh, bedroom's as big as our whole apartment. You want to take a bath? This groupie comes in, right? Because he's got yeah. lust. He's got lust. Uh, I want a dirty woman. I want a dirty girl. He's got lust for this woman. But at the same time, women are racing. And lust is not an identity-based thing. If it's just generic lust for sex, it's not about you as a man. It's just about your genes trying to reproduce. And so lust erases him. And being in the presence of a woman erases him because his mother never encouraged his individuality. In fact, she, right, she, um, and this is why he's like, mother, do you think she's good enough for me? Do you think she's dangerous to me? Will she tear your little boy apart? Will she break my heart? He can't make any decisions. He can't make any decisions. And then uh, the wall is his mother to some degree, right? Because he says, mother, did it need to be so high? In other words, should the wall being so high? Mm -hmm. So he can't communicate to women. And there's these Bob Geldof who basically acts throughout the movie like he's just about to throw up all the time. That's his big acting thing. But uh, Bob Geldof, uh, when women are trying to talk to him, he's just completely numbs out. He gaps out. He vagues out. And he takes a lot of drugs and so on. And it's really... Uh, just wildly overprotective to the point where the boy can't make any decisions. And then, because the presence of femininity erases his personality, he wants to be with women because of his lust, which also erases his personality. But then when he's with a woman, he can't have any interactions with her because then he'll just vanish. Uh, and and so, yeah, it's really, it's a very, very powerful song. But yeah, I do remember that song, What Happened to My Mom When She Found the Lyrics of a Friend of Mine Who Unwisely, although obviously not with any malicious intent, happened to put them on a... Uh, uh, on a little cartoon he did of our <laughs> our stuff, right? Um, what what else grabbed you about the album? Um, well, another thing in the movie, there's this motif of the hanging phone of dis like the feeling of disconnection, and and then um, so with that, you know, moving around a lot, went to five different high schools, just always feeling disconnected and not quite not quite feeling like a belong in any given place. And then also just as you were saying that about, about uh, the character pink in the movie and the wall, it's just one thing that sort of independently of each other, women in my life, or even just people in general, in my life has said is that I'm guarded, you know, you know, a wall, you know, guarded and uh, disconnected. Yeah, because, because femininity, I would assume feels like it's self erasing for you. Hmm. I don't really know how to how to process that self erasing. So here's the question, right? This is a big question for men. It's one of the most fundamental questions for men. What happens when you strongly disagree with a woman? Oh, it's a big, big. If you if you answer that question, you have a happy life. If you can't answer that question, you won't. You'll have a very dangerous life. What happens? 
guys, you throw this in the chat, man. Let's let's or mix it in or, or jump in if you want. What happens in the situation where you strongly disagree with a woman? And uh, you, you on the line, you, yes, you stand oh, still, laddie. What, what, uh, what happens when you strongly disagree with a woman in your life? Um, well, I've been good at being assertive and stating my case and using facts and perhaps being even like a little bit cold and harsh. Okay. So tell me, tell me a last disagreement that you had with a woman and how it went. Uh, um, <laughs> well, you know, actually, I don't know if it's the last one, but just just one that's kind of been on my mind. So my fiance, so I personally don't think that you should force a child or anybody into a like a sleep schedule that they don't want. Right. And so but my fiance thinks, you know, she, she interpreted that as, oh, well, you think that parenting should just be a big free for all and they should just be able to do whatever they want, which I never really said. And I think I stated my case pretty well, but then we sort of left it and it hasn't really been resolved because it sort of came up again. It's, so it's, so I stated my case and then I suppose she wasn't convinced or else in in her mind, it, I still, she's, she still thinks that I meant that parenting should just be a free for all and the kids should be in charge. What do you think it means when you say you don't want to force a child into a sleep schedule? What do I think it means? Well, like what, what does it mean to you? How, how are you forcing a child? Like functionally, that would mean like yelling at them and getting mad at them. If you want them to go to bed and they're up behind and you just set an arbitrary bedtime. And wait, do you, sorry, so, do you mean, do you mean, do you mean children or, or babies? I mean children, yeah. So I I don't know much about how babies work. Right, they they don't exactly work, but what <laughs> you mean? Like, like it's babies. like some sort of car. I don't know. I don't know how trans ams or human infants work. <laughs> so I do know that okay. um, that that I was um, I'm I'm definitely not a morning person, and so I was forced to go to school in the morning, and uh, it didn't work for me. And I think that I was. Per, maybe perceived as being less intelligent than I was just because. Oh, yeah. Well, no, no. The, the, the zombie death march of night people into morning schools is absolutely brutal and probably takes at least 10 to 15 IQ, probably at least a standard deviation off your performance in school to go in tired. Uh, it's absolutely wretched. And I was in the yeah. swim team and water polo team. And we had morning practice. It was pretty brutal. If you have a, I remember I had, I had some. I had a, a physics test the next day, and my mom is in my room smoking like a chimney, whacking away on her stupid electric typewriter, keeping me up all night. And it's like, oh, it just wrecks you. I mean, sleep deprivation is a form of torture. And uh, yeah. if you've got if you've got those uh, really um, manic moms, uh, just up doing stuff all night. But here's the thing: so let's say you're a parent, and you're going to be a, are you going to be a parent soon, or is it? Um, that's that's on the schedule, but but just. Full disclosure, I do have kind of like a estranged daughter who's um, about 20 or is 20 now. So there's 20. that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So listen, if, you're, if your baby, if your toddler doesn't want to go to bed, you know, you've got to stay up, right? Yeah. So why does the toddler get to dominate you in that sense? I mean, is that, is that really healthy for the toddler to say, well, everyone should just adjust to me? 
whatever I want. Uh, there's no negotiation. There's no back and forth. Everybody should. Now, of course, when they're a baby, they, you have to adjust to the baby, right? You don't expect the baby to adjust to you. Yeah. But at some point, certainly by the time they're a year and a half or so, you do have to start negotiating. Because otherwise, if you just say, well, we'll just do whatever the kid wants. Oh, the kid doesn't want to go there, but we'll all just stay up, right? Well, that's not. Yeah. I don't think that's particularly healthy for the child to pretend that you don't have any needs. I see what you mean. So I, I guess when you were discussing it, I, de- I never mentioned that. But, you know, I would like to encourage them to go to bed. But I've seen, for example, the way that my, that my sister's parents and it's always all these confrontations and yelling and stuff. And go to bed, blah, blah, blah. So I don't want any of that. No, that's and bad. Then, but, I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, I understand that for sure, but that's, you know, you kind of have the same false dichotomy as your girlfriend does, right? Maybe this is why you're compatible. So she's like, well, you know, if the kids can stay up, it means that we'll never have any rules as parents and the kids can do whatever they want. They can they can juggle with flaming axes. Right? So she's got this false dichotomy and you have this false dichotomy, like either the kid just stays up until whenever the heck they want or you scream at them, right? I mean, yeah. those, neither of those are valid or or productive positions right and so when you have a false dichotomy you're being lured into an extremism that is not valid right so you can't pretend you don't have any needs as a parent because you're not raising a child who can negotiate then the child's going to grow up selfish right if you abandon all of your needs and all of your preferences and just right. say well you know whatever my kid wants that's just what we're going to do how the hell are they going to be an adult who who has relationships where they figure out other people's needs and work to negotiate and, and find happiness and other people's happiness and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. You, you have to be real to your parents. You have to be real to your parents. You have to be real to your kids. And that just means you negotiate. And because um, I'm mean, going to tell you where your, where your fiance is coming from the place, which is, uh, is she a morning person? Um, definitely more so than I, yeah. Right. So, so as a morning person, she is as terrified of people staying up late as you are of getting up early. Because if she has to get up early, in other words, if you and the kid are up till one or two o'clock in the morning, she's not going to be able to get much sleep. And then maybe she gets up at six or seven in the morning. So she's just not getting, so you're giving her, hey, do you want, you want 15 or 20 years of sleep deprivation? Would that be, would that be nice for you? I mean, what if somebody said to you, well, you have to get up at seven o'clock every morning, no matter what, right? You'd be like, oh God, I don't want that. I had that when I was a kid. That was terrible, right? Right. So you're, you know, she's, she, no, she's not reacting, I think, in the most mature way, but that's, you know, whatever, right? But but she's coming from the place, oh, my God, I mean, I, I can't function, right? Because here's the thing, too. Like, if you're a parent and you're not getting enough sleep, you, you, you're you not able to be a good parent. Like, you need to get, now, again, the baby's the baby, they breastfeed, they're up a couple of times a night, and that's, unfortunately, it's just a woman's job because she's got the feedbacks and we don't, right? But... Certainly, you know, four to six months in, um, I mean, certainly for myself, my God, I mean, just couldn't, could barely function. It was not safe to drive, you know, sleep deprivation, not, not safe to drive, right? to avoid driving because you're just so tired and that's not good. You don't want to be, again, that's how, that's how they break. That's what they did to Noriega in Panama, right? Mr. Pineapple Face, they played this really loud music so he couldn't get any sleep. That's how they broke him down. That's how you destroy people is sleep deprivation. And you remember that from when you were a kid in school, and I remember that too. Uh, and and teenagers should not be going to school early in the morning because most of them are sleeping in because they're growing their brains and their bodies. But yeah, sleep deprivation exactly. is one of the worst things in in life. You know, if you ever you ever if you ever feel tempted, you know, if you're a woman or maybe a man, I guess, if you ever feel tempted to envy someone like Paris Hilton, go watch her documentary, and she talks about chronic insomnia. Oh, and and PTSD from her abuse as a teenager. 
at her un- unbelievable levels of abuse. She was literally kidnapped in the middle of the night from her home and take with the permission of her parents and then taken to um, an unbelievably brutal um, rehab place where she was uh, uh, isolated and, and tortured and, and beaten. And, uh, just, and she still has, still has PTSD dreams like 20 years later. So yeah, she's got a huge amount of money. She's, she's pretty, uh, she's famous, not a bad singer, and is a complete basket case due to uh, sleep deprivation. And that's hell on earth, right? So yeah, just so for you, you got a, a, um, a conversation with your girlfriend and you're like, we're going to bed late. It's like, that's not a negotiation. The kid can do whatever the kid wants. That's not a negotiation, right? The, the opposite of authoritarian parenting isn't hyper-permissive parenting because with authoritating, uh, sorry, authoritative parenting or authoritarian pain, parenting, the parents will exist and the child's will is erased. But you don't want to go to the opposite extreme where the child's will exists and then the parent's will is erased. Right, that's you understand. That's just two sides of the same coin, and you're probably going to end up raising a kid who's going to be brutal to his or own own children because they're not trained or to recognize other people's needs. Now, negotiating needs is really, really important. And so, in this particular instance, you have a perspective. Your girlfriend has a perspective, and the conversation gets erased, which means the personalities are getting erased. So, uh, that's my particular guess. So, let me ask this as a whole. Let me ask this as a whole. What has happened with you guys when you have a significant disagreement with a woman, if you're a man? Yeah, people give their kids melatonin. Yeah, that's that's not good. Isn't that a hormone, right? That's that's not good at all. That's really not That is not good. Yeah, go ahead. Because then the body doesn't produce it anymore. Yeah, it, it does kick your body out of produ- producing it, right? Yeah. Bad. 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 And, you know, the other thing, too, I mean, I've said this before, but we did sleep train my daughter because healthy sleep habits, happy child or something like that. If you don't sleep train your kids, if they don't learn how to sleep through the night when they're young, they will literally have continued sleep disturbances into their 20s. And and probably for the, that's just how long they've studied it, probably for the rest of their lives. So do not do that. Is Tomb Pool really bald? Yeah, I assume so, right? I mean, it's not like uh, like the Edge, the guitarist for you too. Like he's got a great head of hair, which is why you can never find him without one of the tin pool beanie caps on, right? Can you elaborate on your perspective on MMA? I thought you saw your Facebook post critiquing the audience, salivating over Chris Weedman leg break. Let me know when I can get in. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, hey, how's it going, Steph? It's Jesse. Hey, Jesse, how you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, this is a great show. Uh, great topic. I really wanted to talk about like, uh, mothers and, uh, maybe some of the, some of the sexual abuse they put onto their kids without, uh, without actually touching them. Yes. That's a very good topic. I'm, I'm all ears. Go for it. Well, I was, uh, I was just in a relationship with, uh, with a single mother, which is like first mistake for a person without any kids. Uh, it's my first experience with working, uh, dealing with a kid, you know what I mean? Like in that kind of capacity and that kind of like intimacy. And, uh, his mother would, uh, there was a lot of instances, but she, you could see that she was trying to, uh, I don't know, uh, all the things that went wrong with the, uh, the other guy, she's trying to put that in the kid. She's trying to tell the kid. I'm not sure what you mean. Can you clarify that a bit? 
Uh, it seems like she's angry at her ex and all of his failures. She's trying to correct them within her kid. Does that make sense? Right. A lot of parents will do that too. Like uh, if you had a particular ambition and you didn't fulfill upon it, then you will, you know, this is the typical stage mom thing. Like, oh, I wanted to be an actress. I never quite fulfilled on it. So you go be an actor for me and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But more like, uh, maybe, maybe this is a big generalization, but it seems like women uh, will, they seem uh, extremely desperate to assume control by whatever means they have available to them. Is that right? Well, yeah, but okay. So look, women are much more prone to anxiety and then there's nothing wrong with that because uh, um, toddlers are death magnets, right? I mean, it's about everything will kill a toddler. And so you've constantly got to be anxious about how they're doing. Women traditionally will take care of the sick. And so they're much concerned, more concerned about hand washing and masking and all of this kind of stuff. And you can see women just completely freaking out over fears of COVID, right? Because, you know, originally it's COVID. Now, of course, it's CO2. Something in the air is going to kill you and you've got to be terrified of. So women have higher levels. So they have higher levels of, of anxiety. And so women in, as a whole, and you've you got to love them for it. I mean, you don't have to, but it's going to be there whether you like it or not. And, and I choose to love and treasure women for their high levels of anxiety because that's why we're all alive. If, if you know, we, I, I talked about this many years ago, but when I was um, uh, chief tactical officer of my programming team and I would spend a lot of time offsite working sometimes on the next version of the software. And once we were just talking about how it would be a pretty funny uh, docu- documentary, pretend documentary, um, raised by bachelors. You know, like what it would be like for kids, like talking about, oh yeah, yeah. When I was a, oh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad used to just put like bouncy fabric softener pads into my armpits so that I would smell uh, uh, better. Or you know, I, I I didn't really do laundry. I didn't really get laundry done, but sometimes he would spray air freshener on me before I went to school. You know, just sort of funny stuff like that. And so, um, if if men ran early childhood, none of us would be here. You know, men are great for like uh, the latency period, sort of eight onwards, great for the teenage years, but you really desperately need women's, you know, hypervigilance and, quote, paranoia, which is not paranoia because kids like toddlers are death magnets. And you just, you know, women are the ones childproofing the house and women are the one making sure everyone, everything's clean and women are making sure like, you know, I'm about to eat some yogurt. And my wife was like, did you check the expiry date? I'm like, oh, thank you uh, for saving my life. <laughs> today and so, so uh, yeah so, oh, sorry. so it's sorry so it's it's very good so when women want to control their environment it's because their anxiety is attuned to dangers in their environment now this is very easily manipulated by the media right which is why the media just is this endless conveyor belt of fear porn which has a lot of men roll their eyes and a lot of women like oh, drama and all of this which is why a lot of people love the pandemic because they were anxious about the world but now they have something to focus on other than their own lives and their society going through the shitter so, um, yeah, so, yeah, there is a lot of control element in women, and you've got to respect and love that where it's appropriate, and you've got to push back against that stuff where it's not appropriate, right? Everybody knows if you're a parent and, and you've got, you know, you've got a, a dad and a mom that, um, you know, the, the kid wants to jump off the wall, and the dad's like, go for it, you know, safety first, but if you think you can do it, right? And, and the mom is like, oh, I can't watch, right? I mean, this is pretty, pretty typical stuff, and uh, bo- both perspectives are really important, right? You don't want the kid jumping off uh, a high wall when they're two, but you also don't want to hold them off jumping off a wall when they're five. Because, well, you know, if you, if you control the children too much, you end up with 
you know, the Roger Waters song we talked about before, you end up with, with um, uh, if children aren't allowed to manage risk by taking risk, then you end up with a society full of people who simply can't fucking analyze risk at all. They cannot analyze risk because they've just been bubble wrapped and shrink wrapped and helicopter parented and kept off the high bars and not allowed to, to run with scissors and so on. And you have an entire society of people who can't fucking manage risk or perceive risk or understand risk at all. And that's where you get lockdowns from. Yeah, she doesn't really. It seems like she's putting her identity into him. Like, it seems like he's become like when I see them interact, I see two of them talking like the same person talking to each other. When I see his eruptions, uh, like he has a lot of temper because he's from a broken home. So he's got a lot of emotional problems. Like it's a pretty messed up situation back there. So he's got a lot of emotional problems. But when they interact, it's like the same two, the same people talking to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do we prevent women from installing their identities in men? Because if you look at men today, they're extremely emotional. They, they can't carry a conversation. They can't be assertive. They're scared of women. They, they want to find one person. They just stick with that. Like I, I'm a little like lost on this. Like as soon as this behavior acts up, I'm done. Uh, I don't know how men put up with this. Like, what are we going to do? What is the future of our society? If everybody turns to my way of thinking and just says, you know, like you can't be helped. This is, you know, well, what do we do at that point? I'm not sure what you mean. By do what, what do we do? Well, I mean, we're not going to have much of a society if men can't tolerate women. And eventually, like more and more men are coming to this way of thinking that they really, it's our fault that women are so. Why is it, uh, sorry, why is it your fault? I don't understand. Is it my fault? Is it your fault? Whose fault is it? Yeah, it's all our, it's all our fault. Like men didn't really stand up to women. Men, men gave them, uh, you know, allowed them to have all this uh, power and control. And, and did we, you, did we you allow that? I, I don't remember allowing any yeah. of that. I'm, I'm not yeah, sure I understand. It, it, Throughout my, I would say, yeah, I would never, I have never said I'm a female feminist, but Jesus, how, how about, uh, how about I, you fucking stop taking, un how about you stop taking unearned guilt for one? I'm not, I don't feel bad about it, but I, I do recognize Wait, hang that. Hang on, you're saying we all, gave oh, women all this power. We don't stand up to women. Yeah. I didn't give them any power. Correct. You didn't give them any power. I mean, there's, there's a political well, system. We, there's a logic of democracy, we, but I don't know how don't I don't know how anything. you spreading unearned guilt to men is going to strengthen up men. Maybe I'm missing something here. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm just saying that, like, if nobody tells the truth, if we don't tell women the truth, of course, it, it's going to get worse. You know what I mean? Like uh, placating an angry child. It's sort of the same thing. You're just going to you're just going to get more of the bad behavior later. It's the same with women because, as you said, they're very anxious and emotional. So the more we placate, the more we uh, – I don't know what the word is. Yeah, so, like, I mean, uh, as far as what do we do, well, don't placate women. Treat them as adults. Yeah. Right? Just listen exactly. to women and say, oh, I want to be treated as an adult. I want you to respect me. It's like, okay, well, then I'm not going to treat you like a child. I'm not going to indulge you like a child. I'm oh. not going to – I mean, no, that's like – Here's a funny story, right? And it's not even a story. It's, it's a fact, at least according to so – Megan Kelly some years ago wrote a book, uh, Settle for More or something like that. And then in it – she, she meets this guy, she's set up on a blind date, and she's got a stalker. So, I mean, she's like a stalker who's so bad that, and she had a bunch of stalkers, I think, but this one was so bad that she needed like round the clock, two armed guards security. I mean, there's a pretty horrible existence for an attractive woman 
in the mainstream in, in many ways. Jodie Foster had had one. I mean, it's just it's a really huge issue, and the law is total bullshit when it comes to dealing with stalkers. To me, if you say I know where you live and I'm going to make you pay, it's like you go to jail. Like you just as soon as you like yeah, as soon as you definitely. threaten people in their home, even even tangentially, like you go to jail. I mean, that's to me, it's just real simple that way. Because just don't do that shit, right? Because you're really invading oh. people's spaces, particularly women. Anyway, so she met this guy and she got him vetted uh, and all of that because she's terrified of the stalkers. And she goes out for dinner with the guy, and there is, and she, you know, she's a she's a high powered lawyer. She's, you know, she's a high testosterone woman. She's got like the jawline of the gods and this sort of blonde Valkyrie thing and all of that. And she's, you know, very intelligent and a very skilled lawyer, and uh, you know, she's very hardworking and all of that. And she, I think she's got like three kids right now, so she knows she's done some pretty good things with her life, as far as I can tell. Anyway, so this very high powered, very alpha female, this guy, she's out dinner with him. And, you know, have you ever seen these, these people that come by and it's like, you know, $5, which, would the lady like a rose? And you give them five bucks, they give the rose to the lady, right? And yeah. so she says, uh, he's like, you're going to get a rose. And she's like, no, 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 that's so cheesy. Oh, no, don't do that. Come on. I don't want a rose. It's like, no, you're going to get a rose. And she's like, oh, that's, no, it's embarrassing. Come on, it's just it's $5. It doesn't mean anything. He's like, you're going to get a rose. He buys the rose and he gives her the rose. And do you know what she says about that? Tell me. I loved him for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I loved him for that. And and they ended up getting married and having kids. And, you know, probably not just because of that, but um, you know, the shit test. We all we all know this kind of stuff, right? So you just just treat women. So I don't know about this collective male guilt for letting women blah, blah, blah. <laughs> None of that happened. I think we need to tell them the truth, man. I, I think we put up with a lot. I think we... Of course we, you... Yeah, but you can't tell women collectively the truth. This is why I'm concerned when you say, what should we do? Like it's some collective thing. In your own... Like in your own individual life, I don't lie to people. I don't lie to people. I just don't do it. And so I tell people the truth. And then the people who want to stick around the truth, as I see it, they stick around. And the people who don't, they don't, right? So if you go on a date with a woman, you tell her the truth. And you uh, think- if you don't want to tell her the truth, then don't be uh, shocked when the relationship goes badly. Okay. No, of course, yeah. And no, don't take yeah, any not- collective guilt for but, the state of masculinity um, and femininity in the West. And all, the, all this shit was... It's like, it's like you would be taking guilt for the demographic that. change. It's like all this stuff was put in place... Uh, like the, what is it? The, um, uh, the heart seller act was 1967. I was one and I was in England. Okay. So uh, excuse me if I don't, uh, take on the mantle of demographic change in the West. I mean, we, we're all just trying to surf these rapids. We didn't create the gravity, the water, the surf, the tide, the moon or anything like that. So, uh, just really, really it. careful about handing out this collective responsibility stuff. It's just going to weaken people. Oh. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to take personal. You, no, you kind of did. No, to, to be honest, d- don't go but right I mean, up on me, man. Them. You kind of did. I I'm think telling you straight up. Okay, well, let me ask a question. Yep. Is this a fair question? Just tell me if this is a fair question. Do you think all men individually should stand up for what's right? I don't even know. What, how, how on earth am I going to pass that sentence? Because if I, I say yes, well, hang on. I mean... The, the Nazis thought they were standing up for what was right. Uh, the, the communists sometimes think they're standing up for what Antifa think they're standing up for. I don't even know what that means. I think people no, should they're blinded the truth. By their I angle. think they should be honest I about what they think and feel. Those people are blinded by, okay, well, here's, an, well, here's another question, right? Is like m- most people, 
when you're an angry person, when you harbor resentment, and most people harbor some resentment towards somebody that they haven't forgiven yet, when you carry that kind of anger and resentment, you're blinded to the truth. You, you can't possibly know the truth when you're angry. So how, you know what I mean? Like, so these people that think they're doing right, they don't even know what truth is. And a lot of the, I, I see a lot of people stepping no, but, back but from dude, it. Dude, dude, you formulated it as you think men should stand up for what's right. And now you're telling me most well, people have no clue what's right. Well, which, which is it? Like, what you, I don't, you're well, yeah, spinning me around I here. Just told it. Uh, Stefan, I just, I just told you, man, like they need to address who they're angry at. They need no, to forgive who they're no. angry hang at. No, hang on, hang on. You listen, I'm going to be straight. I told you, be honest, right? Be honest with you, right? You're confusing uh -huh. the living shit out of me. Because you say to me, Steph, do you agree that men should stand up for what's right? And I'm like, I don't really know how to parse that thing. I don't really know. You know, lots of people think they're standing up for what's right when they're not. And then you're like, well, most wrong. people don't even know what's right. It's like, well, why on earth would you think that people should stand up for what's right if by your own definition they don't really know what's right? By telling them that their anger is wrong. Why is their anger wrong? Why is anger wrong? What's wrong with anger? <laughs> because hatred is wrong. You're supposed to live in a why, state hang of love. On, what's, hang on, what's wrong with hatred? I, I, again, I'm, 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 why would, why would we have developed these emotions if they didn't serve our survival in some manner? It's like saying, well, your opposable uh, thumb is wrong. It's like, well, doesn't mean you got to strangle a hobo. Now, you could do something really loving with it. Like saying your opposable thumb is wrong. It's kind of a... That's no, but what's, so what's, what's wrong with hatred? I don't understand. That is evil. You're not... Hatred is wrong. Like, an emotion? Hang on. An emotion is evil? It's a state of mind. It's a it's a parasite in your heart is what hatred is. It's not it's not okay, giving, an emotion, me, giving it's me metaphors spirit. is not an argument. Okay. Saying it's a it's parasite not, in your mind doesn't prove okay, anything. But the thumb metaphor is an argument. Your thumb metaphor is an argument, but my argument telling No, Steph, no, 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 no. No, the analogy is correct though, because we developed an opposable thumb because it served oh. our survival. And we developed mm -hmm. the capacity for hatred and anger because it served our fucking survival. So uh, the, the uh, reason why I, I say you can't say that the opposable thumb is bad, like, because look, some people who hate do bad things. Some people who hate uh -huh. do wonderful things. There are people who, I hate child abuse. I hate child abuse. I really do. So I hate I child abuse. Now, does that mean that I'm going to go and abuse children? No, I'm going to try and convince the world to not abuse children based upon my hatred. Some some doctors so really, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You gotta let me finish, right? So some doctors, you know, some researcher, you know, his mother dies of cancer in some horrible lengthy, and she's like, oh, I hate cancer, man. I'm gonna work to end cancer, right? Well, I don't understand how you could just take a, a sort of foundational, evolutionary, essential emotion and just castrate it completely, right? And, and then say, well, hatred is just bad no matter what. I don't, that's, that's reductionist. That's, it's not accurate. Well, uh, that would be a confusion between judgment and discernment. Like you can recognize that somebody is doing wrong without hating them. You can recognize that something is not right and not hate it because then you're just, you're just doing, they're doing wrong because they're hate filled. Like the reason people do wrong is from anger, which is just hatred. And then you hate them. You hate the, you hate Wait, it. Back. So that everyone, everyone who's angry does wrong. No, I said wrong is committed from anger and hatred. That's the, the that's it's evil. Okay, so hang on, hang on, hang on. So is is the wrong and the anger synonymous? In other words, can you be angry without being wrong? Can you be angry without being wrong? No, your anger is wrong. Okay, so then you, you just you just contradicted clearly. yourself. You, you just contradicted yourself, which is fine. I just don't think uh -huh. you even notice it. How? No, I don't. Explain. So. 
you said that there was a you could you, there was a gap between anger and wrong, and then I asked, well, no, which, are they that. synonymous? And then you said, well, they I are synonymous. All anger is wrong. And I'm saying, well, you can't no, be I didn't angry. Say the same thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, well, anger is wrong. Anger is wrong. There's why? a there's right and there is wrong. No, why is know? anger it's wrong? Because you don't need it. You need to be rational. You need to think logically about these things. You can't be you know controlled by an angry spirit to deal with things correctly. You have to see things clearly. Why would anger not be something that allows you to see something clearly? Because love is what makes you see clearly. It's like, it's obvious, isn't it? Like, don't you see things more clearly when, when your life is at peace? Like, anger is not a peaceful thing. I don't know why anger wouldn't be something that would help clarify something. You know, there's a fight or flight mechanism, right? So when we are threatened we gain fight or flight, right? Now, fight has something to do with anger, right? I mean, the adrenaline, the cortisol, the dump, the, the escalation, it's preparing ourselves for uh, a fight, right? And so you're taking a primal emotion, anger or hostility or fear, and you're saying these things are bad in and of themselves, even though you understand if they had been bad for us, we wouldn't have evolved them, right? So you're saying that which has kept us alive and keeps all animals alive, which is the fight or flight response, and there is love and there is peace and all of these things, which is fine. I mean, you, you've got to have the variety, right? But I don't quite understand why that those emotional apparatus, which we share with every single living creature, which has kept us alive as living creatures for 4 billion years, and is the only reason we're here, that you just can carve these things off that are essential to our survival and the only reason we're here and just say, well, they're evil. I just, I don't, I don't follow. Yeah, just, yeah, maybe you don't. I just, I see anger, hatred, all these things. I just see them as wrong. I see them as corrupting the spirit. I see, you know, I see it in people's fear. I see how they don't want to address the issue. I see how they don't want to say what's true to the, the people around them. I, I, I see that all emanating from anger and hatred. Because if you're like, like if you're true, if you're real, if you're, you don't mind being questioned, you know what I mean? You, you welcome the judgment in a way. But if you're an angry person, you, the wall is up. Resistance is coming. Nothing's going to get through. That's what anger does. I don't know. Maybe what's, we just see things on. differently, man. Hang on. Let me, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Let I me ask just, you this. Uh, I did want to make a point there, though, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. You asked, like, uh, how are we going to disregard this? Uh, how are we going to just disregard this emotion that's kept us alive for all this time? I don't know. Maybe it's time for an enlightenment. Maybe it's time for us to let go of the anger. Maybe it's time. You know, we've been working off the same dialectic for how many years now? For oh, no, no, no. Anger, anger and hatred have had a bad rap for a long time in the West. Oh, absolutely. Yours is a completely mainstream position. That hate is used, uh, hate I and anger are all used as a pejorative. Yours is a completely and totally mainstream position. And mine is a radical minority position. I'm sorry? Okay. No, if you say so. I mean, if you say so, I don't really see that. If you have concerns about the direction of the culture, and your perspective is by far the most dominant perspective, if you have concerns about the culture and your perspective is the dominant one, does that give you no possibility of changing your perspective on your argument, right? Because you totally won. Like, no, yours probably, is the mainstream ar argument and you say the culture is going badly. 
I would put, I would put that like the people that I haven't heard anyone say that, like, I haven't heard people address anger recently. There's, there's a couple of people like Jesse Lee Peterson. Uh, there's a few, a few other people who address the issue of anger. And, uh, yeah, sorry. I, I don't see how it's mainstream. I, 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 but I would put it in this story. Dude, I lost called, my train of thought. It's called hate speech. Have you not heard that? Hang on. It's called hate speech. Have you not yeah, heard that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Great point. Great point. Great point. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. It goes into that category of like misnaming shit. Like when they say like, we need to have tolerance. We don't really, we need to have tolerance for our own destruction. When we need to have diversity, it's not really diversity, is it? I would put that in the set. The way that people, you know, you'll hear them. Maybe you'll hear them say it. I don't really hear them say it. I've never heard. I don't hear people talk on the issue that much. But uh, okay, let me ask you this. So listen, listen. Hang on. Let, let me ask you this. Hang on. Let me ask you this. So there's there's two categories here, and I th- I think that the problem that we have in the conversation is a lack of categorization. So I do not believe that you should. Use anger as an intimidation tactic. I don't think you should use it to bully people in your personal life, in your relationships, in your all the relationships that are voluntary in your life. You should not use uh, anger as as a mechanism to to bully and to dominate. That that's not going to work. And and of course, you shouldn't hate the people in your life. You might have issues with them. You might disagree with them or be disappointed with them, just as they might be with you. But that's just one category of relationships, right? That's just one category of relationships. Now, the other category of relationships is when there are people who are showing genuine threat against you, and they need to be fought, not reasoned with, because they won't reason with you. Now, the fighting, we would hope, and uh, I always advocate, you know, you would keep it peaceful, you would keep it uh, in the court system and so on. But if you look at someone like, uh, I don't know if he's James O'Keefe, got deplatformed from Twitter, and he got really angry, and he's done, You and I more power to him. Good for him. Right? He got really angry. And he's now suing uh, Twitter. And and he's suing Twitter because, I assume, he doesn't feel like he can just have a call or reason things out or understand what he did wrong. And you see this complaint all the time when people say, well, I got deplatformed. They said, there's this thing. I didn't. I asked them what this thing was. They wouldn't tell me. So you're in a situation where you're being censored and silenced and deplatformed unjustly, unfairly, or at least without any reasonable explanation. So his anger is causing him to fight to retain his ability to communicate with the public, which is an essential part of, of course, of what he does. And I'm not sure, and, and he hates the way he's been treated. He thinks, and I'm, I'm speaking for him, I'm going to assume that he would obviously speak for himself far more effectively, but he hates the way he's been treated. He hates the injustice of what's happened. He's angry at what's happened, and he's fighting back hard. Now, do you feel that he, he's evil, for having the emotions of anger and hatred. Um, uh, I, I would have to say, yeah, but I'd like to explain why. Like, um, to me, it makes sense what he's doing. But in my head, like the way I see it, someone like James O'Keefe, and I don't doubt this for a second, he knew exactly what he was doing. Like, he's fighting wrong. So when good fights wrong, when good fights evil, that's that's how it's supposed to be, right? That's not that's not wrong. That's not you don't have to be angry to to do that. Like I'm not if, when I have to defend myself, I'm not angry about it. I'm not angry at the person. I just can you give me sorry? Can you give me an done. example of you successfully fighting irrational evil uh, in your life through this process? 
I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'm, hey, I'm, I'm open-minded. I'm, I'm perfectly willing to be convinced. Um, so, uh, if you, cause you know, if, if the way that James O'Keefe is doing it and he's got this whole wall of shame of, of people who've had to retract, uh, all of this stuff and he's fought, fought really hard in this kind of way. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's doing right. Do, what's an example from your life where you've had to take on, uh, an irrational injustice, uh, and, and succeeded in this way? Irrational injustice. It, honestly, I brought a lot up on myself, so it's hard to find like an irrational injustice in my life. Like I, I, I oh, tend to come believe on. that. Oh, come on. Don't weasel out that way. Are you, come on, you live in the modern world. Don't tell me you're not subject to any irrational injustice. That's just, that's not true at all. Come on. Irrational injustice. Uh, can you give me an example one that you had to do just so I have like some kind of frame? No, listen, you claim to be an expert on how to fight evil, and I'm asking you, okay, well, you're an expert on how to, hang on, hang on, hang on, let me get my words out, let me get my words out. You claim to be an expert on how to fight evil, and Do I? I would then assume, if, if you tell me, oh, I'm an expert at, at Thai kickboxing, and uh-huh. I say, okay, can you show me a video of any Thai kickboxing you've done where you've been successful? And you're like, well, I'm not really sure what the definition of Thai kickboxing is. I, you know, you understand why I'd call bullshit on that, right? Well, I would call bullshit on the fact that you're putting words in my mouth. Like, that's that's absolutely untrue. No, you like, said, I know how to fight evil. And I said, give me an example in your life where you fought evil. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. No, you said, I said I was an expert. Did I say that? You said you knew so, better than James O'Keefe how to fight evil. Did I say I know better? Yes, You're just you did. Absolutely. You said he's You're going about it the wrong way, and he should do it the way it. that I do it. No, I didn't. I didn't say, I said you he's doing did. right. Listen, this is recorded, man. Wrong. It's recorded. Okay, I'm not going to yeah, waste time with you I if you will simply, hang on. If you're going to gaslight something you said 20 fucking seconds ago, I don't have any interest in talking to you. Right? You absolutely said, you said, James O'Keefe is doing it wrong, and I know how to do it better. And so I'm saying, okay, well, can you give me an example? And then you get all vague on me and won't give me anything, right? Did he sound angry to you guys? Yeah, he kind of did, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's kind of predictable, right? I Listen, I'm an empiricist. I just want people to to give me the facts. I just, uh, and listen, I said I was open-minded. If he's got ways to fight that, that work, uh, I'm certainly happy to hear, but uh, didn't seem to be, didn't seem to want to continue in the conversation. That's too bad. He, he got a little angry toward the end. Sorry, go ahead. He got a little angry toward the end. Well, I'm sure he's now. And, and it's funny, too, because he's like, well, you know, men, men aren't being men anymore. And it's like, uh, you, you know, the men are like the, the immune system of the social body. And you want your immune system to get angry at whatever it has to fight, so to speak. You want it to be relentless and so on. And, uh, yeah, so he did contradict himself a lot. And he, uh, you know, I'm happy. It's like, hey, if, if you tell me you can do something wonderful, uh, you know, I can see James O'Keefe's entire wall of the retractions he's got. I think that's great. Good for him. And, uh, you know, so he's got some success. And uh, he may well have. He's certainly had big success with the New York Times. And he's looking forward to deposing Jack Dorsey under oath and all that kind of stuff. So he could get some really great stuff done. And again, I don't want to speak for James uh, James O'Keefe's emotional status because I can't read minds or anything like that. But when I saw the video of him announcing his lawsuit, he was angry. I mean, that's straight up. And I applaud him for it. I think it's a healthy emotion. It's a wonderful emotion. And uh, uh, this guy's complaining like men aren't men anymore. Uh, and it's like, but you've just got to love yourself into winning a fight against evil. And it's like, that's not that's not how things work. <laughs> that's just not yeah, the way things work. In that's reality. more of a feminine attitude. I'm sorry? That's more of a feminine attitude, I think. I, I, well, see, women, women you know, I mean, because there's deference to women and so on, though deference to women, they can do a lot of this kind of stuff. But, uh, 
you know, we men, uh, you got to be comfortable with your baser emotions. And again, you don't want to be like out there committing violence or, or anything like that. But uh, you, you, the idea that you're going to fight an evil that wants to exploit and destroy you without any, all, all you end up doing is you end up just saying, well, I can't get angry. And oh, I'm angry. Oh, that's bad. And you just end up managing yourself. And the funny thing was, is that earlier he was saying, well, women seem to want to manage their environment a lot. This guy just wants to manage himself and not have any of these bad emotions. And that is uh, really, uh, really a challenge. And yeah, I thought it was fairly nice. I wasn't angry at the guy. I was certainly energetic about it, but I was genuinely curious. And unfortunately, we didn't get uh, didn't get much of an answer. <laughs> Too bad. All right. Uh, got another minute or two. If anybody has a last question, I've got a, a call at uh, nine, but I'm happy to chat. If anybody has another question or comment. Please go. Yeah, I've got one real quick. Yeah. Uh, hey, my, my name's Morgan, and uh, I'm the one that put the question in uh, DLive about being a farmer. And the reason I asked the question is because I work at a data center right now, and uh, I'm really considering kind of going towards uh, being a farmer. And I was just wondering, I was looking at things like government grants, and I was just wondering specifically about like USDA grants. Is that something that would possibly be uh, immoral in some way? Or I don't see it as immoral simply because, one, I pay into the tax system, and two, I would be using the money to put back into my local community and the community at large. So yeah, or you could take your money, invest in Bitcoin, and buy Bill Gates out when when it pops even more. Uh, that would so, be yeah, nice. Yeah. Look, as, as far as look, as far as taking government subsidies go, look, look, if you have paid into the system and getting your money back to me is is perfectly fair and perfectly fine. I think that's that's no problem. And also, um, if you have a if you have a job that would be there in the free market, then to me, that's totally fine. You know, if you're a tax collector, that's kind of a different matter. But if you have a job that would be available in the free market, that's that's totally fine. Never lie to the government. Uh, of course, uh, it's illegal. Uh, and uh, But yeah, if you can legitimately get uh, subsidies from the government and the government see so you're complying with the laws and the regulations and, um, oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, I, it's great that you, you have these um, moral qualms, but you don't want to be totally hypersensitive on, on these kinds of things, uh, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, because, you know, the, the bad guys certainly aren't. And uh, having, you know, crazy higher standards than the bad guys doesn't necessarily get you to, to win, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Good, good. All right. Last question, comment, issue, thingy thing. No? All right. Then I think we are done for the night. I really, really appreciate everyone dropping by. A great pleasure to chat with you guys this evening, as is always the case. Uh, I am truly, truly privileged, honored, and humbled by the glorious brilliance of this collective conversation. And uh, I, I totally love the guy who called in, by the way. <laughs> I really, look, I, I love him for sticking to his guns. Uh, I love him for fighting hard. I think it was a, a great uh, interchange and uh, necessary and helpful. And I really do appreciate uh, the people who called in, I love the guy who complained uh, with bad grammar about IQ. Uh, he was also fantastic. And um, have yourselves a great evening. Um, remember, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. is the standard one. I just missed you guys and wanted to have a chat tonight. And uh, last but not least, freedomain.com forward slash donate. Oh, yeah, I used to have that text there, didn't I? Yeah, 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 there we go. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. If you'd like to help out the show, I'd really appreciate it. You can donate with crypto and other things. Uh, and I would really uh, be, be happy about that. And um, lots of love from up here. And uh, I wouldn't say have a great weekend because we're done with the weekend. But uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.